This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. On this edition of the show, we go beyond carbon to look at the bigger subject of conservation and stewardship practices that could pay farmers $100 per acre. What is the program and how does it work? It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. In 2020, I had the chance to use a new corn nitrogen product firsthand in my fields, Pivot Bioproven. Pivot Bioproven adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's the weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable, more productive yields than ever before. After successful trial in 2020, I hope you'll follow me on an expanded use of Pivot Bioproven in the 2021 growing season. If you're like me and want to make sure your corn has the nitrogen it needs, whether or not, then check out Pivot Bioproven. It'll change the way you think about nitrogen. You can learn more at pivotbio.com. Brandon Honeycutt is a farmer from central Nebraska. Like a lot of us, he's heard plenty about carbon programs recently, and while there's nothing wrong with those programs, he sees an even bigger picture of how farmers could benefit from implementing a variety of conservation and stewardship practices on their farms. That led him to become a member of the steering committee for something called RIPE, an acronym that stands for Rural Investment to Protect Our Environment. Eliza Wasserman Drews is director of RIPE. She and Brandon both joined me for a conversation about how climate policy within USDA might afford opportunities for farmers to be compensated for the stewardship practices they already utilize or practices they may begin to implement in the future. Today I have two guests on our show. Brandon Honeycutt is a farmer in central Nebraska, and I'll be visiting with him in just a moment. But first, I'm going to talk with Eliza Wasserman Drews, who is the director of something called RIPE. We've certainly talked a lot about carbon, conservation, and stewardship on this show in the past, but today's interview gets into some new territory with this thing called RIPE. And so, Eliza, that's where I'm going to begin. Why don't you just simply start by sharing who is and what is RIPE? Sure. We're a coalition of farmers working to advance a federal framework that invests in rural America and mitigates climate change. So we're really committed to farmers earning a fair and profitable return from voluntary conservation practices. We're different than a lot of the organizations that are out there um, that are in D.C. mostly talking about paying farmers for carbon farming, which is at best $15 an acre. Uh, and we're really looking at an innovative approach that's shifting the program to compensate farmers fairly for the broad array of benefits at $100 an acre. So when you look at what farmers contribute to soil health, carbon, water, air, biodiversity, and other environmental benefits, it's really at $100 an acre that farmers are delivering to society with voluntary practices. So we as an organization are committed to uh, providing that compensation to farmers through a climate policy framework. So, Eliza, many times the carbon programs that you mentioned might be sponsored by one company, but who is behind RIPE and, and the payments and so forth? What is there a certain specific group or, or who is behind it? 
Sure. So we're talking about a government program. So President Biden has proposed a climate budget that is in the order of $500 billion a year. And we're, what we're proposing is that about 1% of that go to farmers for their voluntary practices. Um, the private market opportunities that are provided for carbon, we think they're fantastic, and this would augment that. So farmers could choose to do both or they could choose to do either. So this won't take away, it'll add to the private sector opportunities with a government program that's similar to the way that EQIP and CSP offer compensation to farmers and would be part of a federal climate policy plan in the long term. And in the near term, what we're proposing is that a pilot program be advanced as part of either a congressional or an administrative effort that's trying to figure out how can farmers be fairly compensated with a climate policy. Brandon, I want to jump over to you because you're a farmer in central Nebraska. Perhaps you want to begin by telling folks about kind of where you're at and what you farm, but then I would be interested in how you got involved in, in this process and, and what your role in a sense is in the process. Yeah, thank you. We've, um, I farm in Geltner, Nebraska. It's about 20 minutes from Grand Island, Nebraska. So if anybody's familiar with Tusker Harvest Days, it's just down the road from us. I farm with my brother and my dad. We raise corn, soybeans, popcorn. We have a little bit in organic production. You know, we're, we're in the spot of the state that's basically fully irrigated. You know, so it's we've tried over the years new new practices, whether it's trying different things on the conservation side or technology side. So it's kind of the background of our farm. Part of the reason I got involved is, is beginning to see these carbon markets and sustainability um, efforts come into come into play. You know, it looked like a really intriguing idea, to be honest. That that there wasn't this punishment for those who haven't been involved or who are already doing certain practices because it just makes environmental sense. And it was really another pathway to look at how can we get farmers rewarded? How can we get farmers involved? And how can we take the next step uh, forward, you know, as we're dealing with carbon markets and, and trying to mitigate climate change? Right. You know, you mentioned that about not penalizing farmers already doing some of that work. I know on our farm, We've put some of those practices into place, but depending on the carbon programs, in some cases, folks aren't <laughs> rewarded for things they've done for years. But in this case, you're telling me the plan is, is with RIPE, farmers would be rewarded for those types of things that in some cases, maybe they've already been doing, but also some things that they could begin doing. Would that be right? Yeah, that would be that would be a great way to look at it. You know, there, there's not a penalty for those early actors. You know, I've talked to some farmers that are like, well, you know, I'm I'm going to be shut out of some of these carbon programs because we've been doing these things, whether it's to save water, whether it's because it already fits into they have cattle and they're already uh, using cover crops to graze and whatever those cases are, you know, and we don't want to see that happen because we, we want to move the move everything forward um, with within these markets and within. And for farmers in general, because we want to make sure that everybody can be, be rewarded for, for what they've done and what they might do in the future. So, Brandon, you're on the steering committee. What does that then mean? What is your role and other farmers' role? Is it in helping to craft the policy that could then become uh, the program that would actually take shape? Or how do you fit into the big picture? You know, this is really a program that, that has been, I, I would say it's, designed two ways. You know, we have obviously Eliza and, and her staff working on really diving into those those issues that, that maybe some of us as farmers aren't uh, as aware of or, or in tune to. 
And at the same time, it's coming back to the farmers and saying, okay, does this work? What other ideas do you have? You know, who, who else are you talking to? And, and then how can we work with the farmers and, and get this idea pushed out to other organizations, um, national organizations, state organizations, and, and reach out to those who can be a partner with, with us moving forward. So, Lisa, give me an idea then of, you know, these types of things can be a long process. So eventually, would this be something then that has to be passed by Congress? Or what would be the, the steps that has to be taken? And, and where are we in that process? Then? Sure. So we're proposing a pilot program at first that would be something that could be done by Congress or could be done by the administration within the USDA existing programs. We're really looking to engage farmers in this initial conversation to share the idea, get feedback, continue to improve the details and build interest in it. And then the pilot would help prove the general concept that you can pay farmers um, $100 an acre without penalizing early actors and getting them the payments up front, all the things that farmers reasonably ask for but have not been provided through other programs or the other types of climate policies that are being talked about and that we can show that this can work for farmers and it can work for the public with a really great public uh, benefit, cost benefit that our white paper that we released shows is a four to one public benefit, um, even at that payment rate. And then after the pilot, we would look to the Congress to expand the program with legislative package that would include a large phase one, and then a phase two of the program. And the phase two goal would be that the funds would be available to every farmer and uh, livestock producer for as much of their operation that they would want. And that earlier phase would be as, you know, as the funding pool allows, um, there would probably be some cap for each farmer. Of course, $100 an acre certainly perks up the ears of a lot of farmers. Is that then, would that be stacked? So I do certain practices and it stacks up to $100. Is that how it works? Are we too early into this process to know exactly how payments might even be stacked into a, a pilot program? We've done the background analysis to show that you only have to do one practice to reach that $100 value. So farmers only have to pick one practice. It could be something like cover crops, which provides $104 worth of value to the public. It could be no-till, which is $100. It could be a manure management plan, which is over $100. Um, comprehensive manure management is almost $400 per animal unit. So we've designed it with farmers' feedback about what are the practical uh, practices that also have more than $100 worth of public benefits. And a farmer can just pick one of those practices and then they would be compensated through that pilot program for it. So in other words, it sounds like you're saying that some of these practices that farmers may already be doing or could do, they're already benefiting the public by over $100. So we should be giving farmers that, that money for what they're already doing because it's in the public good. Is that somewhat right? That's exactly right. That's exactly okay. right. Farmers are already, if you're already doing that benefit, you should be fairly compensated for that. And the only reason why that has not been done is through the private markets. There are these strict requirements for additionality that that market has 
you know, chosen to play by. So we think it's an appropriate role for government to play a complementary role where farmers can be compensated for the public benefits that they are delivering. And there's a lot of precedent for that. There's really no reason why the government can't do that. We identify those precedents um, in our white paper, and we think that if farmers show up and ask for this, um, there's also a lot of political interest. The polling that's been done by others as well as ourselves shows that there's a tremendous amount of public interest in compensating farmers for their soil, water, and climate um, benefits that they're providing. So the public is already interested and what we're is already interested and supportive of this concept. And what we're hearing from policymakers on the Hill from both parties is that they're actually really interested and excited about this too, but they need to hear from farmers and farmer groups that it's something that they're interested in. So that's part of the conversation that we're engaging in right now to share this idea with farmers. So, Aliza, the marketplace can sometimes seem a little crowded right now with a lot of those carbon programs out there, but this is something a bit different. So tell me how RIPE fits into the overall picture. Yes, it is a crowded landscape. There's a lot going on, and it's hard to keep track of it. Um, We keep track very closely, and really the universe of ideas in D.C. are still only looking at the carbon compensation. There's no other group out there that's talking about compensating farmers for more than that. We believe carbon plus water, air, and all the other benefits is really the way to go. The other thing that's unique about RIPE is that we have done careful analysis about how climate policy will increase the costs that farmers confront, specifically fertilizer, as well as other fuel and energy intensive products. That is going to increase farmers' costs. So we've taken a very careful look about what that would be for each commodity across the region, across regions in the country, and made sure that the payments that farmers would be offered would far surpass what the cost of climate policy will do to their inputs, plus will fully cover the full cost of the practice so that farmers are fully covering the practice costs, the climate policy costs increased on their inputs, and delivering a fair stewardship incentive that can be a profit opportunity for farmers. And that payment price is at $100 per acre. And again, the public is receiving more than $100 an an acre in benefits from those practices. So it's a great deal for the public and it's a great deal for farmers. And there's no other group out there that's really taken an honest approach in, in our assessment about how climate policy will have those costs. Um, bared. So carbon farming is nice and we're supportive of it, those type of payments, but it's really not going to be enough to cover all of the bills that farmers will confront. So we think that there's a better path forward and that's what we're focused on. So Brandon, you know, folks like us have been around conservation type programs and certainly have probably benefited from programs in the past where if we adopted certain programs. So how do you feel that this is different? Certainly the, the amount of cash per acre, it, it makes it different. But in your mind, why is this a, a game changer in and how we farm and perhaps being compensated for what we do? Yeah, that's a great question because as we, you know, as I look around the countryside, you know, it doesn't really matter which part of the United States you're in. You know, farming is generally the same. We may do some things different, um, but there's always risk involved. And a lot of the times when we, when we, you know, utilize other conservation type programs, it's, it's to make a, a very systematic change. So, you know, like in irrigation, it was, we're using programs to convert from gravity irrigation to pivot irrigation to, to reduce our water footprint. Um, but, but as we look at some of these other concepts out here, as far when 
when you look in the farming world is that there's there's a lot of risk there's a lot of unknowns um and and this allows those farmers to say okay i can take i can take something i wanted to try and and be able to at least give it a go um whether it's cover crops whether it's no-till whatever those practices are and i think that's a that's a big game changer because you know, we all we all have to deal with bankers, and and they they tend to be risk averse. And if you're in a multi generational farm, trying to convince one generation it's a great idea, um, whether it's the younger generation or the older generation, can become a challenge. And so, if we have the this ability to say, okay, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to uh, pay out. At least you can at least you can go out there and, and try it and it more than covers the from a farmer side it more than covers some of the costs some of these programs out there you know they'll give you a return of let's just say it's fifteen dollars an acre but if your additionality is adding in cover crops and that cover crop is thirty dollars an acre and it takes multi-years to see any other uh, beneficial return off of that well it's really hard to get guys convinced to do that because you're you're losing theoretically fifteen dollars an acre to try something that you don't know necessarily if it'll, if it'll work or not on your specific operation. What do you get as feedback from farmers? I'm sure there's probably, you know, receptive to, hey, we could get some money to put these practices in, but what's kind of the pros and cons that you're hearing back from farmers as you talk to them about Ripe? I think right now we're part of the challenge that I've run into is that there's there's so many things going on right now in the in the, uh, in the space of, of carbon markets that it's become really confusing and almost to the point of where guys are either frustrated and throwing their hands up in the air because it's like, well, that that's not going to cover, cover the cost or, or, you know, it's um, guys are like, well, I'm like to talk before I'm doing those practices. So I'm already out of the program. Um, you know, maybe that doesn't fit into to what we're trying to do or what we can, we can accomplish on our farm. And, and so I think that that, that has become a, a challenge is just trying to, to reframe the conversation to the point of saying, no, this is something that can benefit you. Um, you know, I had a conversation with a gentleman not that long ago that I sent the information about ripe to. And, and I think it really intrigued him because he was one of those that like, I, I'm doing all these other things already because it just makes sense on our farm. Good. These other carbon markets or, you know, other sustainability programs, what, what good do they, they do for me? And, and it was one of them that, the gentleman who really thinks things through and, and is one that uh, I think long-term would be the, the type that would really benefit and look at a program like this. Aliza, you alluded earlier on about, you know, as you think about Congress and about politically that you need, of course, bipartisan support, but in today's age, it seems like that <laughs> that's been hard to come by. So how do you get the bipartisan support behind that? I think you mentioned that you believe it's it's there. So how does that support happen to, to make this ultimately happen? We've been having really promising conversations with senior members of Congress in both parties, in both chambers, folks who serve on the Ag Committee in particular, and they're really excited and interested in this approach. And what they're telling us is that they want to hear from farmers. And if farmers and their representatives are interested in this path, they are too. They understand that there are tremendous benefits that farmers deliver to water, air, soil. Um, but the policy proposals that have been brought to them so far are controlled by climate hawks, the folks that I consider people who have kept their um, blinders on to only looking at climate from one way and not thinking about the broader benefits. 
So there's a really tremendous opportunity for farmers to take the lead and say, hey, we can, um, you know, be interested in this type of uh, bipartisan play if you're going to be fairly compensating us for the value that we're providing. And to your point um, in supporting Brandon's notion about um, farmer interest, we did commission a poll of farmers uh, through the Trust and Food Division of Farm Journal that polled farmers um, around the country and found that 78% of farmers prefer that payments be provided for these stacked environmental benefits rather than just a carbon alone payment. So there's a real significant grassroots um, uh, interest in this type of effort, but there has not yet been trade association engagement to say, let's move the ball forward. So that's where we are right now, where we want to engage more farmers and more farm um, leaders to really think about, well, what if we just tweak the, the conversation in D.C. from just looking at carbon to this broader notion of the wider environmental benefits, and that way farmers are happy, uh, and then rural policymakers can be more interested in this type of approach. And um, from our conversations on the Hill, urban legislators are also completely happy with this type of approach if rural policymakers and rural stakeholders are interested in that pathway. So, Elisa, as we sit here in the spring of 2021, give me the path forward as we move into summer. What do you believe kind of begins to happen? And secondly, how's the best way for farmers to find out more? Obviously, there's folks like Brandon out there that are doing some educational work, but is, are there any certain places that they can go to learn more as well? Absolutely. We have an agricultural outreach team, and we'd be delighted to talk with any farmer who's interested in learning more. Our website is riperoadmap.org. You can contact us through there, um, and we'd be happy to get in touch, share with you any more information. We have a steering committee that Brandon and other farmers serve on. We also have a supporters network and a bunch of different ways um, to get involved. There currently is a USDA um, open comment period on how they should be thinking about designing climate policy. So we have on our website a form if folks are interested in that. And we're really excited to continue engaging farmers and getting more feedback and moving us forward um, with farmers at the front. Brandon, I'll give you the last word here. Things that you would like for farmers to think about about this program. We mentioned it's a crowded marketplace in a sense, but this is certainly different from a lot of other things. So what would you like them to keep in mind? I think there's a couple of key things that farmers really need to keep in mind is that, you know, one of the important uh, parts of this program is that it allows for farmers to, to really try those things that work on their farm. And also it's not punishing them for, for the, the good environmental stewardship they've done in the past, um, like some of the programs we see out there have done, you know, and it's, it's, if they can be involved in one of the pilot programs, that's, that's great. You know, if, if they're in the, if willing to try some things and reach out, I think that's vitally important to make sure that we're, we're moving this, this whole process forward. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're all concerned about sustainability, whether, whether or not we want to use that word, you know, we all want we all want good soil. We all want clean air. We all want clean water. Um, you know, most of us, I think most farmers in general are trying to figure out how they can reduce their environmental footprint, even though they're not saying that, um, because they're trying to find ways to, to lessen nitrogen use, to lessen phosphorus, to, to lessen, you know, in, in irrigated areas to, to reduce water usage and to reduce tillage. Um, if all those things take, take a lot of, a lot of money to get done, 
Um, and, and we know margins are always thin. And this is one way to, to really help farmers um, take the vital steps that probably a lot of them have wanted to try, but just have been, you know, a little bit concerned or a little bit leery of doing it just because, you know, just because of the dollars involved, that this would give them the perfect path forward. Brandon and Lisa, I, I really appreciate the time. It's a very interesting topic, and I'm sure that we'll probably be hearing more about it as we move forward. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much. If you missed that website, it's riperoadmap.com. That's riperoadmap.com. You'll find more information about how farmers can interact with the group, and there will probably be some names of farmers you know on their steering committee. No doubt, this will be a topic that could have a big impact on farmers and how and what they implement for stewardship practices on their farms. Well, so far this spring, we're still waiting to plant the first of our crop. I made a drive all the way from northwest Missouri to Nashville this past week and saw very few fields that have been planted. A little field work was being done in Kentucky, but I saw plenty of water-soaked fields too. The corn crop was 4% planted nationally at the beginning of the week. No doubt that will change in a hurry once we get a few drier and warmer days in some spots. As always, thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook as well as our daily American Countryside broadcasts. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farm in the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, weather or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.